You know, if you were to ask me, what is the most important series that I've preached at this church? I know you'd all have some, some thoughts. I know you might say countercultural series, and that might be. But I think it might have been a series in a time when most of you weren't even here yet. I believe God used the series Church on Fire in the beginning of the book of Acts in 2019 to set the foundation for this church. How many of you guys were here in September 2019 for that fall kickoff on that Sunday? Okay, some, some of you were. It's down to about 30% now. All right. That Sunday, I revealed the new mission statement for our church, that we boldly proclaim Christ and represent him in this world. And the source text for this was Acts 1. I want to preach Acts 1 to you today so that all of us who weren't here on that day know where our mission comes from. I want us to see the importance today of a shared mission, and I will challenge us today to reaffirm our commitment to the mission of Christ. So if you would, pray with me before we look at God's Word. Our Father, Lord, we ask you for a work of your hand, yes, on this text now as we read, Lord, but also in hearts that need to be stilled, uh, Lord, that have just heard some news. Father, I, I pray that, Lord, the power of your Spirit would just overwhelm this place, Lord, and not with a sense of fear, which is not from you, but with a sense of boldness at what the future holds, the bright future for this church that, God, you have built. I pray that you would show us something powerful from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Acts chapter 1. The hard work is done. It's all downhill from here. What kind of a weird pastor does that in the beginning of a sermon? Man. It's because I want to preach to it, honestly. That's why. I want to speak in light of, of what you just heard. God in his providence has led us here just after finishing the gospel of Mark, which we did last week. This is great chronologically. This works out. God always works things out. Acts is the natural follow-up to any of the four gospels. Jesus has resurrected at this point in time and been seen by disciples and followers. And before the book of Acts gets into its theme of founding the early church, there's one final moment with Jesus still there in resurrected flesh, but nevertheless still there in the flesh with them. So our focus today will be on Acts 1, 6 through 8, but for context, I do want to read 1 through 11 together. So let me read that now, if you would follow along. In the first book, O Theophilus, that's Luke, by the way, the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering for many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So there you go. We know Jesus was walking around and teaching even in his resurrected body, 40 days. That's why Pentecost is 50. It's 10 days after this. So, verse 4. And while staying with them... He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. There are three important lessons of a church having a shared mission that I want us to see today. And here is the first. Number one, we must focus on the primary issue. We must focus on the primary issue. You can imagine the disciples were somewhat disoriented. Even though Jesus had laid this plan out for them far in advance, they had enjoyed three years of pure adrenaline, a high of traveling ministry, healing, preaching, big crowds, fights with the religious leaders. And they go to Jerusalem, and then boom, Jesus is killed. And then three days later, he's resurrected, he's alive. And then he hangs out for 40 days. And I just can't help but wonder if in those 40 days they thought, hey, maybe this is the new normal. This is even better than before. That's a lot of change to endure. And then it comes time for Jesus to leave, and for real this time. He has one last message to say, and it's not a deathbed confessional, uh, but certainly it has a feeling of finality. Whatever Jesus would say right before he leaves and goes into heaven seems to be pretty important. And before he can utter his final commission, the disciples have a final question of their own. See, he's got his final big statement. They've got their final question that they want to get out the door, and here it is. And this actually might tell us a bit about what they were going through, what they were thinking. We don't know who asked it, but it was a group question. He said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That was, their big, that was the question. If you had one question to ask Jesus as his feet were starting to just float off the ground and he's heading up to the clouds and there he is, wait, one more question. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Wait, we've been trying to reach you about your extended warranty. And your, oh, <clears throat> sorry, just thought of that one. <laughs> and, and, you know, we can laugh now because we, we know how the book of Acts go, goes. They didn't. Um, It has nothing to do with Jesus establishing Israel as a superpower. That's not what the book of Acts is, right? That's not the, the plan. In fact, their request is actually the opposite of what the plan was. They were thinking, okay, Jerusalem's gonna be the capital, Jesus is gonna sit on the throne, and we're gonna build this empire, and we're gonna call everyone, this is the Israel model, right? We're gonna call everyone to come and join us, come inside the city gates, and Israel's going to be back, baby. We don't have David. We've got Jesus on the throne. It's game time. And you know what? We might say that if we were standing next to resurrected Jesus, too. If you could put your arm around him, you might get all excited and say, you know what? From San Antonio, we're doing it right here, you know, start it up. 
And you know, Jesus, when he responded to them, he didn't say, boy, that's a dumb question, did he? He doesn't even deny that it's going to happen. That's an interesting point. Rather, he says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed on his authority. He's saying, that's not for you to worry about. Now, if you know your Bible, you've read the Old Testament, certainly it talks about a comeback for Israel, a restoration. It's a fun theological discussion. I like to have it. Uh, You know, whether this is going to manifest in an earthly kingdom, the millennial kingdom, or whether the church kind of just takes the mantle of what Israel had and just continues going. It's a fun question. It's good theology discussion. But the point Jesus is making to them as they asked is this. Don't get sidetracked with lesser issues and concerns and don't abandon the primary focus. You know, there's a lot of things we can be doing as a church. A lot of great things. But we must place the majority of our focus on the prime issue, which is the saving of people's souls by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the primary. Everything else must serve that mission. Every side creek and babbling brook and tributary must flow into the main river, which is the sharing of the gospel, the preaching of God's word. There's a term that exists. It's been adopted in church world, but it's in business world too. It's in nonprofit world. You've probably heard it. It's called mission drift. Anybody heard of mission drift? Maybe mission creep? If you want to sound a little creepy, I think that's why they got rid of that one. It's when an organization begins to slowly diverge from its founding principles and make changes to its core mission. Perhaps you remember, the jury's still out on this, whether this was a publicity stunt or whether they tried it, realized it was a fail and walked it back, all right? We might take a vote, I don't know. When IHOP went to IHOB, you remember that? Who says that was a publicity stunt the whole time? All right, who says they put it out there, got really bad results, and pulled it back? Okay, (laughs) all right, about half and half. Okay, that's what one might call a mission drift. You're all about pancakes, your lifeblood is breakfast, and then you decide one day, you know what, International House of Burgers sounds a whole lot better when there's a lot of great burger restaurants already out there. All you had to do was fight off Denny's and Perkins, and you got it done. Maybe you've heard stories of, of like... This is just a generic example. Perhaps a, there's a successful bookstore and uh, the manager has like a little coffee shop in the side of the bookstore just for people as they're reading their books to get something to drink. And all of a sudden he becomes obsessed with the, with the coffee shop. And, and you, re- you look up one day and like the books are all out of order and falling all over the place. And you haven't had a new book come in in like a year and they're all stale old books. But man, that coffee shop is popping. But at the same time, you can't take on Starbucks So that's an example. Maybe you've been to a college or um, you've seen a a college of a friend or you've heard one on the news that maybe it's known for a very famous degree. Man, the business degree at 
Harvard or something like that. It's just the, the so-and-so psychology degree, the, the nursing degree at this school. It's just amazing. They're known for this. And then all of a sudden, they just start putting all their resources into under, underwater basket weaving and intersectional gender studies. And you're just watching and you're just like, what are you, what are you doing? And then in their great famous thing that they're known for, it's less resources and it starts to crumble. And it's just not, the, it's not what it used to be. You know, we see this happen in church life. I've jokingly talked about this. I know this will never happen at our church because of Sharich Scott, because we have talked about this. Where are you, Sharich? Are you anywhere in the building? There you are, right there. We have talked about this a hundred times, okay? Not because she's done it, but because we're just making sure we're on the same page, okay? Um, I've made the statement, the tail can never wag the dog in church life, all right? I've said, how many times have I said that, Sharich? Hundreds, probably, yeah. So, I'll give you an example. I love having an active food pantry. Love it. How many of you think that's a great thing our church has done? Okay. I think it's one of the great successes that came out of our pandemic uh, time. Um, you got, that was not my idea for the record. It started, and it was a great idea, and it has taken off. But you do hear stories of mission drift, where a church has a good food pantry and starts to become a food pantry that has a church. You know what I mean? The distributions get bigger and bigger. The food bags become food boxes. The boxes become pallets. The pallets become semi-trucks. And soon, you're a distribution hub for the food bank of San Antonio five days a week, and you look up, and you barely have time to throw a Sunday service together or reach your members. There are countless stories. The, the church with a daycare and the daycare eventually becomes larger than the church. The church with the gym and the sports field and the outreach leagues, you know, the upward basketball leagues, eventually become so big that there's more people playing basketball than there are going to church. You become a YMCA. The church with the great fellowship ministry that puts on such good events, at first it just starts off as, man, we've got a gift. But then eventually all the events are looking in. You're looking in, fellowshipping and you never have any outreach. The church with the great band can become, come hear our awesome band. We're the concert hall of San Antonio, and you fail to become a missions enterprise. That is mission drift. The key things of a church, things we have to do more than anything else, proclamation of the word of God, sound theology, Christian education, worship, prayer, evangelism and missions, and ministry to our children and youth. The gospel is primary. It is everything. Don't become sidetracked. As my dad always said, don't get all consumed with the side salad and forget the porterhouse. You got to make sure the main thing stays the main thing. The disciples said, is it time for Israel to get the kingdom back? Jesus said, don't worry about that. That's not important. That's not primary. But you know what is primary? Number two, we must function in the power of the Spirit. We must function in the power of the Spirit. Look at Acts 1.8. If you don't know this verse, I'll just ask you, know this verse. Find a way. Make the time. It says, but you will receive what? Power. 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So what Jesus is basically saying, don't worry about your previous question. Here's what matters. You are going to be empowered by the coming of the Holy Spirit, and this is going to be, he is going to be the fuel for your ministry. Holy Spirit power, missions. No Holy Spirit power, sitting in a room, looking at each other, fighting. You understand? The fuel, the fuel of ministry is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, they may not have understood in the moment what exactly Jesus meant. We know that in Acts 2, there was a big fulfillment of this, maybe the biggest. That sounded like Donald Trump, didn't it? A great fulfillment, maybe the biggest fulfillment ever. Um, I, re I regret doing that since I've done it. In the two seconds after, I regret it. Um, there was a powerful fulfillment of tongues of fire resting on the disciples. And they were speaking in languages, not their own. They were, uh, a, a crowd was forming, and Peter stands up to preach in that moment. That's Acts 2. But can I tell you, that thing, what they did there, was just the start. That wasn't what everything in the church was leading towards. This was the pattern of the book of Acts. And guess what? It still is the pattern today. The mission that Christ has given us, like a car, requires fuel. And that fuel is the Holy Spirit. And when we are full of the Spirit as individuals, or we are full, you know, a church can be full of the Spirit too. When a church is full of the Spirit, the results, what happens? The results are that we boldly proclaim Christ. That's what happens. No man can stand and rightly proclaim the gospel apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. No teacher ought to teach their Sunday school class apart from the Spirit. No pastor can preach a sermon. No outreach ministry ought to be done apart from the work of the Spirit. The refrain of the book of Acts time and time again tells us that when a person is filled with the Spirit, they don't roll around on the ground and bark like dogs and, and get slain in the Spirit, Brother Al. They don't do it. They don't run around the building. Now, you might, if, you, you know, if it's just for fun, though. Those are different. What does a person do? See, we've been lied to. What does a person do when they get full of the Spirit? They speak the gospel. That's what happens. Acts 2.4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Acts 4.8, then Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them. Acts 4.31, oh, here's my favorite one. If I could go back and preach this in Acts, I might. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Man, somebody ought to make a church mission statement based on that. My hope is that you have been affected by the mission statement of this church. That it's not just something we say because we feel that we ought to have one. But that we believe that if we boldly proclaim Christ he will be glorified in this city. That's what we are to do. And when someone asks, why do you put boldness in there? Because, you know, I've read a lot of church mission statements. I've glanced at a lot of websites. I haven't seen that, the, the 
boldness word in there. A lot. So if somebody ever says to you, why do you put the word boldness in your mission statement? You know what you can say? It's a great excuse. You can say, because people who are filled with the Spirit tend to be bold. And that's what we want our church to be. When we are a people who are living lives conducive to the residency of the Spirit, we receive His power. The word power means might, strength, and ability. Jesus literally supplies us with the strength necessary to do the task he asks us to do. Now, I believe in all seriousness, okay, I believe this church has exhibited signs of the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you? Have you seen it? I have seen it. I have sensed it. I have felt it. How many of y'all have ever been, you don't have to say which one, you've ever been in a dead, dying, or coasting church at some point in your life? How many of you would own up to that? I've been in one, okay? You know what it's like not to have the power of the Holy Spirit in a place? I believe the Lord is on this church. I believe he's got his hand on it. He's moving it. And I believe he will continue to do so, so long as we continue to boldly proclaim Christ. He honors that, you know. He honors that. We have used the talent that, that God has given us. We haven't buried what we had in the sand in the backyard. That's why we've seen the power of God working here. Calvary Hills, listen, don't take your hand off the plow. Don't look back. Don't let up. Press on toward the prize. We have, we have not made a habit here of trusting in man's methods to grow this church, have we? What are we doing? We haven't sought to be cool, to draw. There's nothing cool about this church other than Angelo and Mark. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Nothing, all right? I, myself included now, right? There's nothing cool about this church. That's not why you're here. We haven't pandered politically. This is not a political church, is it? I mean, I apply God's word to everything I can, but that's not politics. We haven't done a walkthrough of church growth strategies we haven't looked at the mega churches in town and said, well, they're doing this and this and this, so we ought to do. We've never done that. And people always ask me, Pastor, how did Calvary Hills grow? Because you know people notice. People have noticed. How did Calvary Hills grow? My answer is always the same. Oh, we, we just preach the Bible. That's it. God's word is elevated and proclaimed and he, when lifted up, will draw men to himself. We built the church on Christ, and Christ built his church. It's that simple. It is that simple. Do not let anybody tell you it's not that simple. It is that simple. That's what a spirit-led church does. Don't ever stop, Calvary Hills. Don't ever stop. We must focus on our primary issue, the gospel. We must function in the power of the spirit, and most famously, probably, number three, we must fulfill our part of the commission. 
we must fulfill our part of the commission. I want to reread Acts 1.8 with an emphasis on the second half. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the mission team said, Amen. We often call the Great Commission Matthew 28, right? That's what gets the name, the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And, and, you know, Acts has a version. This is the Acts version of the Great Commission. But rather than make disciples as the key word, the key action word is be my witnesses. What does the word witness mean? It's the Greek martyres. Yes, that is the word where martyr comes from. It literally refers to one who testifies. We didn't plan that first song today, did we, Angelo? This is my testimony from death to life. We didn't plan it, I promise. So this is a legal word that could be used in court to provide a testimony on behalf of what someone has seen, heard, or experienced. Jesus is telling his disciples to be witnesses, to go on the witness stand for me in life. Crawl up onto the witness stand, bear testimony, testify to what you have seen, to what you have heard, to what you have experienced regarding Christ. To recount the lessons learned from him, to tell the parables you know from him, to reteach what he taught you, to tell about the crucifixion, to tell about the resurrection about what faith is, about what repentance looks like. This is where the second half of our mission statement comes from. We are to represent Christ in this world. We bear witness to him. We provide testimony of him. We take him with us. We represent his interests in the world for the purposes of his fame and glory. So a good question to ask is, how often do I take the witness stand for Christ in my life? How often do I testify for him? Has the DA or the prosecutor ever cross-examined me for Christ? Has anybody ever asked me a question about him? That's what we're supposed to be doing. And then Jesus says, here's some directions about where you're going to testify. You will bear witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if any church does not have a basic mission strategy, I would take you here. Now, y'all do. But if you don't, here's where you start. Jerusalem is your local community. It's home base for the early church. It was where the Uh, They evangelized the Jews who had been made aware of Jesus' ministry. It was low-hanging fruit. It was uh, people who shared a similar worldview with them already. No cultural boundaries to be crossed. A church must have a local outreach strategy for the neighborhoods around them. Judea was the surrounding region. Now, we might think of this as ministry within the, the state or uh, because of the way our nation is set up, where it's, it's very similar culture uh, all across, we could say this is even national ministry. Uh, it's, it's where you work within the same culture, but 
you're spreading Christ farther from home. It's not necessarily right in your backyard. And Samaria, the reason, I think it was similar, but I think they mentioned Samaria because of the bad blood. They mentioned Samaria because this would be like sharing the gospel among a people of whom you have a cultural rub or a tainted history with, reminding us that the gospel has no boundaries it cannot cross. And lastly, Jesus says that his disciples ought to have their eye on the ends of the earth, the nations, the Gentiles, the unreached. There is a time when God's people intentionally cross a cultural boundary that is uncomfortable for the sake of the spread of the gospel. This could involve translators, language learning, adopting practices of another culture, so that the gospel would take root in a city like it has here, and one day that place can raise up leaders, that place can send out missionaries of its own and reach its Jerusalem in a way that you can't from here. A healthy church can point to ways it's involved in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And guess what? This church can do that. It can do that. But don't ever stop doing that. Don't neglect this community. Don't neglect the unreached peoples of the world. Don't neglect the Chaturtha people of India whom we've committed to pray for. Don't neglect places like New Orleans or other places where there's a disaster and when we can help, we should. Don't neglect people struggling to afford food right in our neighborhood in Oak Creek and West Creek and Heritage and beyond. Don't neglect the guests who walk into this building. Unbelievers who come to the service and need the gospel. Don't just sit in your pew in your spot and put a little plaque up there. Property of Eric P. Shields in perpetuity. Just don't, don't do that. Get up, look around. Who's here that wasn't, who's a guest that needs some love? Who's a guest that needs to be invited to lunch? Who can I get to know? How can I get somebody from just sitting and watching a service to folding in to be a part of this church body. Calvary Hills boldly proclaims Christ and represents him in this world. It is our culture. It is our DNA. We are a Bible-preaching, mission-minded church. That's who we are. No catchphrases needed. That's who we are. A church with a shared mission, one that's bought in at every level to this, Every member, children, youth, classes, if you're bought into this all together, it is hard to shake a church that's bought into a shared mission together. Even in uncertain times, even in times of doubt, our mission keeps us on task. So, stay busy, church. Can I get an amen, Brother Al? Stay busy. Even in an interim period of transition. Because, listen, the mission of Christ does not stop for anything. Souls need to be saved. People need the word of God. And so my challenge to you in this first of three outgoing messages, reaffirm your commitment to the mission of Christ. 
Focus on being filled with the Spirit so that you can boldly proclaim Christ and represent him in the world. Together, you can accomplish your part of the Great Commission here in your Jerusalem, San Antonio, and to the ends of the earth. Share this mission as a body. Own it. Help spur one another on to the work that Jesus has for you. You are, you are a mission church now, whether you like it or not. You are a mission church. This is a mission church. And I pray that you never go back. Pray with me.